So if you've tuned into this show before, you know that we love to talk about injuries. It's probably one of the biggest topics that we talk about ever on this podcast. While this is such a hard topic for a lot of athletes to swallow, it's something that we have to have conversations on and something that as, as a Christian athlete, you have to let God help you through. So that's why on this episode, Ray Santiago, author and specialist in sports psychology, joins the show to talk about how injuries can plague an athletic career and really your life if you let it. Today we go in depth on one of his books called Playing on High Ground and central messages within that book, including probably one of the biggest themes, injuries. So stick around, you're not going to want to miss this one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Competing for Christ podcast. I'm your host, Ken Burke, and today we get to hear from Ray Santiago. Ray is an author. He's the founder of Renewed Mind Performance, a specialist on sports psychology and a former baseball player. Uh, Ray, how are you doing today? Thank you for joining me. I'm blessed, brother. I'm blessed. Uh, coming off a little bit of a sickness, so if, uh, I'm a little froggy, you know. We'll just have to deal with it, but uh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Ken. Yeah, I'm coming off of sickness too, so it might be a raspy session together today. Right. <laughs> but um, for those listening, Ray has authored a few books like The Pillar Bees, which is your most recent one. We'll talk about that one in a little bit. Uh, playing on High Ground and Playing on Higher Ground. Today we're going to be talking about Playing on High Ground because uh, that's the one I read, and I loved it, by the way. <laughs> but basically, this book is for athletes that A, need to prioritize God over sports, B, are probably going through an injury, and C, need to train mentally in their sports. So first off, right off the bat, Ray, what inspired you to write Playing on High Ground? Yes, yeah, so I was <clears throat> uh, just finishing up at Boise State in my master's degree, and I had uh, finished a paper uh, that dealt with the ability of an athlete to bring the relationship with God into sports. And so I was done with it. And I was like, okay, this is a good paper. What do I do with this now? Um, and so I never thought I'd become an author or be a writer. And, and you know, five, six years later, I, I can't stop writing. Um, so that was kind of the, uh, the start of it is just, okay, this is good information. Now let's make this into a book. Um, and, you know, how did it go from, Nonfiction to fiction. At the time, I was just reading John Gordon at the Energy Bus come out, and Brian Kane started to move from uh, nonfiction to fiction. And so um, I, saw, I thought, you know what, maybe this is a good way to grab a reader's attention. Um, as an author, you can lose a reader at any sentence. And so if you combine it with a story, it kind of has like, okay, like I can pick this back up where I left off and I'm just following this um, this journey of this athlete. And so that was kind of the mode to go from nonfiction to fiction, which, uh, you know, as I look back, I mean, the reading is, it's kind of corny because I've, I've progressed so much as an author. And if you read playing on higher ground, it's like, it's a million times better as far as like the writing. But what's cool, and we'll get into it, about playing on high ground is it's so much scripture that that's what really speaks. Mm. And that is the focus of that book. So that's how the book kind of came to be. When I opened the book, I immediately I was like, wow, this is a fiction, not a, not a nonfiction. And it immediately reminded me of a John Gordon book because I've, I've read a couple of his. Um, but yeah, I think it 
it immediately grabs the reader's attention because it, I mean, it shows them that they're not going to be, you know, they're going to be in a story. They're not going to be just lectured to all the time, all the time. But I loved the scripture that was played out in that too. Was this book kind of, I don't want to say an autobiography, but was it, so was it something that you went through during your time in, as an athlete? Yeah. So, uh, it's partially my story and partially some clients stories. So, uh, when I was at Mississippi Valley State, uh, I tore my labrum in my shoulder. So the most popular injury in baseball right now is the UCL or the Tommy John surgery in the elbow. But I tore labrum as a shortstop. And so it was my story in a way of, okay, God, how do we go at this together? Um, so many athletes, and we'll kind of get into this, of like, why me, God? Why did this injury happen to me? Um, the way I was raised in the church I was raised, it just wasn't kind of part of it. Like that wasn't the mentality. The mentality was, okay, this happened. God, how are we going to go after this together? And in my opinion, that's just such a better uh, approach than like wondering why this happened to me. What's the big purpose of all this? And, and I know we'll get into that in a bit. And so this approach was, you know, in this story, Jacoby asked that question. And Mac, who is the mentor that he meets and the person he works with, he urges him to go to the scriptures and say, okay, does God really say that, right, that these things happen for a reason or something? Find that in the scriptures. And as you work through the book, those answers become um, clear as to of, of what happens with injuries. And so every athlete goes through an injury and no athlete is ever 100% right? Even in like you could have a, a sore toe or something. There's always something going on. You're never a hundred percent, nor can you ever give a hundred percent. I can give, if I have 80%, I can give a hundred percent of that 80, but to ask somebody to, to give a hundred percent is ask them to do the impossible. Mm. Yeah. That's a great point. I, I think, I, I don't know. I don't know if it was my coach or a parent of mine they, or they said, give 110% all the time. I'm like, that's impossible. Like you can't do that. And so that's a great point. Like athletes, especially as a college athlete, you are never going to be at a hundred percent. Like you are grinding every single day, but how can people want to achieve success in sports or in a profession, but at the same time, include God in those things and not just include him, but make, make him the center of our life in that, in that success. So, and I don't know so much about your sports background, but in my life, I, here was God and here was sport. They were two separate things. Mm. They didn't go together. God was for Sundays and for my prayer life and sports was for every other day. And when you start playing on the weekend, you don't even get to church. So, um, you know, part of this book is teaching the athletes how to bring God into their athletic career. And so one of the phrases is kind of practicing the presence of God. Uh, and just like we try to play in the present moment, well, as much as possible, being present with God in the present moment, because he's always present, we're always present, why not go at it together? Uh, and so in the book, we talk about, hey, in your preparation routines, as you're getting loose, as you're getting um, uh, ready physically, are you spending time in prayer? Are you doing breathing exercises? Are you taking one verse of scripture and just working it in your mind when the negative thoughts start coming in and the body starts shaking, can you go to Isaiah 26, 3 and say, that will keep him in perfect peace, perfect peace, perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee, right? The focus is on trusting God and he provides that perfect peace. So, you know, a lot of athletes use affirmations, which are great, but affirmations are man-made, 
right? If I can go to a scripture, which is God made, which is truth, which cannot fail, how much more powerful is that than trying to say like, I'm the best, I'm good, I'm this, I'm that, I'm ready, I'm not nervous, I'm not, right? It's like, yes, you are nervous, okay? Let's be honest. But I can go to God and say, hey, God, I'm nervous. I'm going to breathe and I'm going to pray and I'm expecting the peace because your word says that when I focus on you, I'll have that perfect peace. So those are some ways that you can incorporate God into the moment. And here's something kind of cheesy, but it worked for me. Uh, I used to work out with this group that we worked off this Navy SEAL website and I hated the workouts. Sometimes we were carrying tires. Sometimes we were going on five mile runs. And I had Jesus Christ running right next to me. I had Jesus Christ holding the tire with me and I was talking to him. Is that cheesy? Maybe, but it worked for me, right? And it built my relationship and my ability to say, hey, Jesus Christ is right here with me because he's inside of us. Why not utilize that? It's the best tool we have that the secular athlete can't rely on. It's always just them. But the Christian athlete has this extra tool in their toolbox that it's not going to make them hit a ball farther. It's not going to make them jump any higher. But it's comforting to know that, hey, Jesus Christ is right here. Because sometimes, especially after mistakes, we feel pretty lonely. We feel embarrassed. We feel like an island out there. Let's say you're a pitcher and you give up a big home run. You're alone out there. You say, hey, give me the ball back. Take a nice deep breath. All right, God, me and you, let's go. Wow, that is so good. And that is such a great point. Like athletes that don't know Christ, when they make a mistake and they make uh, you know, an error in, in baseball, it's all their fault. And they don't have anybody to, you know, talk to, to just be there for them. And with Christian athletes, like God is there, he's with you. And I love that you brought up the point of God being over here and athletes being way over here. Like that is not how we do it at all, especially as Christian athletes. Another point that you brought up was breathing and talking to yourself and, you know, having verses playing back in your mind. I've talked with therapists and speakers and psychologists, and I wish I did like way earlier in my career because they're so helpful. What can you tell us about the need for sports psychologists and sports therapists within the sports world? Absolutely. It's, it's the biggest need there is. Mm. Um, so I, you know, I don't watch many sports. I know it sounds funny, but I work with athletes all day. I don't tend to want to watch sports at night, but I heard on uh, ESPN the other night that, you know, the guy on the bills, I believe it was, um, you know, he almost died or right now he's in critical condition. Well, who are those athletes talking to? They have a, they have an athlete, a friend, a good friend who almost died, who could have been them. Right. And it's like, who, who do I have to talk to? My, my coach is busy. My other coaches are busy. Um, you know, my, my spouse might try to comfort me, but who can I talk to right now? And that's what a sports psych would, would be available for. It's a third party perspective that has nothing to do with the number on your Jersey, but only the name. They only care about you as a person, not how, what results you put up or anything. Cause you can't always go to coaches, right? Cause they make the lineup. You can't always go to players because you're competing against them. So what can I go to for support to vent to whatever that's actually going to help me get in the right place because sports psychology is not always going to just be like oh it's okay it's going to say hey no you need to change your mindset let me help you reframe something um so it's not it's it's for venting and it's for just resetting the perspective um a couple more things on that is you know some of the pioneers like ken revisa and harvey dorfman sports psychologists they they knock down the hardest doors because 
you know, like in the 50s and 60s, coaches were willing to say, you know what, you're right. Strength and conditioning coach, I'm going to let you do that. They used to run the strength and conditioning. Head coaches used to run the mental side. They used to run the X's and O's. They're still not willing to give up the mental side. They still think it's their job. And it's not. A head coach's job is X's and O's. Okay? Because I'm not, as a player, I'm not going to be honest with you and say, hey, you know what? I just broke up with my girlfriend. Uh, my dog's about to die. I, I'm not feeling confident in it. I can't go say that to my coach because I'm be like, okay, cross you off the lineup, right? But if I have a sports-like person say, hey, here's the things I'm dealing with, I can say, hey, you know what? What are some things in your control right now? You know, you cannot you know, control what your ex-girlfriend now thinks of you. You cannot control, you know, that your your puppy's dying or whatever it might be. Sorry to get your Mac, just using it as an, as an example. But, okay, but what are, what is in your control? Okay, well, when I get to the field, I can control my attitude, my effort, and where I put my focus, right? And a few other things, but those are the main things. So it just, again, resets the perspective. And it's so needed and it's so necessary. And you and I, probably, I didn't, but I never heard of sports psychology until I graduated with a psychology degree and said, what the heck do I do now? And looked at a book that my dad gave me my junior year called The Mental Keys to Hitting by Harvey, Dor Harvey Dorfman and said, this could have been a lot different had I read this book. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's it's kind of like, it's you know, we all have strength and conditioning coaches. It's like, there's no weird thing about that. So what's different about a mental coach? Because the mind tells the body what to do. I was saying in my book, you can have a major league body, but if you have a little league mind, you have a little league body because a little league mind will tell the body what to do. I, I'm so glad that you brought up Hamlin. That, that was the Bills player that got uh, injured and he's still in critical condition right now. But it was amazing to see on Twitter and Facebook and just everybody praying for him and Dan Orlovsky on ESPN praying for him live on TV. That I was so that amazing. Morning. Like that. Mm -hmm. Holy cow. It just gave me chills every time I see it uh, going through social media. But I mean, speaking of injuries, I mean, that's obviously a very, very extreme example, but there are so many topics within playing on high ground and probably the biggest one, the most prevalent, is injuries and how having injuries plague your athletic experience. Uh, and in fact, you just brought it up. The main character even asks, if God loves us so much, why does he allow bad things to happen like injuries? What would your what would your response be to someone that asks you that? Yeah, so my response is the same one that's in the book that came from Mac is, um, are we sure that injuries come from God? Mm-hmm. Right? Can we go to the scriptures and find where it, where God says that, you know, I'm going to make these bad things happen so that I can humble you, so that I can prove a lesson to you, so that I can show you a bigger purpose for your life? Those are common things that are said all over Christian sports world, but they're just not true. Go find them in the Word, because what happens is it's very confusing. So, you, God, you're going to injure me? Or you're going to allow me to get injured, and then I'm going to have to trust you that you're going to help me get better. It just logically doesn't make sense. And so in the book, uh, you know, the, the character Jacoby asks, hey, why did this happen to me? And Mac just plainly says, why not you? Why not you? What makes you so special that you as an athlete don't get injured, right? Did you, and this is a baseball player as a character, did you, uh, were you using your Jager bands? How's your warm-ups? How's your strength and conditioning? Checking in the things that you actually control, um, it doesn't matter. You can be in peak shape just like the Hamlin guy, and the weirdest injury can happen at any time just because our bodies are frail. And that's 
That's the fallen state of man since Genesis 3.15 when Adam and Eve messed up in the garden. Mankind and the world has been in a state of decay. God designed the body incredibly well, but that is the state of man since the fall of man. And it will be restored one day. Um, but in the meantime, we have frail bodies. That's why, unfortunately, people die um, in those things. And, and what we're talking about kind of goes with death, too. God is not the author of death. He is the author of life uh, and life. So um, <clears throat> what it talks about in the book is that God is the God of healing. You look, you know, at the, you know, the paralytics came up to Jesus and said, hey, if you will, you can make me clean. Well, Jesus Christ's will was the same will as God's will. And if God's will is for this man to be healed, then that's the kind of God God is, is a healing God, rather than a God of confusion, a God of injury, a God of darkness or anything. So the plain answer is when you get injured, it doesn't matter if you're Christian or not, injuries happen, right? ACL tears happen when no one even touches you. Bad injuries happen with contact sports. So rather than focus on, okay, God, what's the big purpose or why other than that? I'm sorry, that's just not the case. And anyone can argue with me. It's fine. Show me in the scriptures where it says these things. It doesn't. The focus becomes, okay, God, this happened. It really, it really sucks. But what are we going to do about it? Rather than what am I going to do about it? Hey, God, how are we going to go at this together? Because you're the best doctor. You are the ultimate doctor. You can heal me. And you can even heal me better and get me stronger than where I was. Um, and when I tore my uh, my labrum, it was this incredible opportunity to say, hey, Ray, you have made baseball your God. And it wasn't God saying, I'm going to humble you and show you that I'm not first. It just happened that I got injured and I took the time to say, wow, baseball, my identity was 100% wrapped in of what I did. So one of the things I talk about with athletes is your sport, it's what you do. It's not who you are. Right, uh, because whether it's you leaving sport because you are injured or you're not good enough to make it to the next level, um, whatever it is, reason your identity you'll find out is so wrapped up in sport. And so this book really helps you. Okay, my identity is in Christ first and foremost. My value is in Christ first and foremost before anything else. And when I get that right, all of a sudden a lot of the pressure comes off because now I'm playing for an audience of one. My perspective is that I play for God. I'm not playing for a scholarship. I'm not playing for the people in the stands. I'm not playing for the glory. That's a lot of pressure. But when I'm saying God already loves me because I'm his son, not because of what you know I do or how well I played, that's a lot of pressure that's taking off. If you look at Matthew 4, when Jesus Christ gets baptized by John the Baptist, John the Baptist, it says, God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus had done nothing for God up to that point. Yet, this is my beloved son, and who am I am well-pleased. He was well-pleased because he was his son, not because of anything he had yet accomplished. Mm. And it speaks on that we can do nothing to earn God's salvation. It's all in Jesus. And literally, we, we there's nothing, there's no work that we can do to earn salvation. It is only through Jesus that we get that salvation. Speaking of Jesus, I mean, the mental toughness and the mental strength that he possessed while his time here on earth is something that we will never know ever again and we never have before him what themes can we pull from jesus's walk in his life to help us remain mentally strong through times of injuries not not just through times of injuries but in our lives kind of going back to what i was saying about that matthew 4 um where right away when he's baptized god says this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased okay then 
he goes into the desert for 40 days. The desert or the, the devil comes and tempts him. Do you remember the first question the devil tempts him with? If you are the son of God, then you will save yourself or feed yourself? Yeah, so turn this stone into bread, right? Yeah. I mean, he's got to be hungry. He's He's been uh, fasting for that long. So, But that first part, if you're really the son of God, two verses before that, what had it said? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So Jesus Christ learns his identity. And two verses later, the devil attacks his identity. Because if I can get you off of knowing who you are, doesn't matter why you're here. Your why doesn't matter, right? Simon Sinek has that book that says, start with why. No, don't start with why. Start with who. Because if Jesus Christ compromised on who he was, his why of what he needed to accomplish would never have happened. And so that's why the devil attacks your identity first. Are you really a Christian athlete? Hey, you just watched that porn video. Are you really a Christian athlete? You know, does God really love you? Or is he really ashamed of you right now? Right? Those are the things. Hey, you really, you know, you just went to that party and got drunk. You know, are you really a Christian athlete? And so it's like your identity is his number one attack. And then what happens later, he gets tempted with pressure and pleasure. Right? Pressure of, hey, turn this stone into bread. You're hungry. Pleasure. Hey, I'll give all of this to you. Right? The devil at that point had dominion over the world. So it wasn't. It wasn't something he didn't have. Adam transferred uh, dominion of the world over to the devil when he messed up in the garden. So when the devil says, hey, I'll give you all this land. I'll give you all the kingdom in the world if you bow down and worship me. And then what did Jesus Christ do? He went back to the scriptures. What does the scriptures say? So our greatest armor is knowing the scriptures. And so in this book, as you've read, there are a ton of scriptures. Why? Because I want to equip the athlete. My greatest fear is that as a Christian athlete, all I can do in a post-game interview is say, hey, I first want to give uh, praise to God, you know. Okay, but when the praise is not on you, right, do you know, when's the last time you cracked open your Bible? And in this book, the scriptures are all right there, so you can learn them. I want the athletes, I know we're jumping ahead in some of the questions we'll get into, but I want athletes equipped because Jesus Christ was equipped, and that's the only way he could handle a fight directly with the devil, right? There's only two people in the Bible that I know of that the devil directly attacks, and that was Eve in the garden, and that was Jesus Christ. And Eve fell for it, and Jesus Christ did not because he was well-equipped with the scriptures and walking with God. So that's that's one of the ways, right, is, is the pressures and pleasures of life and learning from Jesus Christ's life is, number one, he knew his identity. Number two, he knew exactly what he had to do, right? I mean, they found him in the temple when he was 12 years old. Hey, where have you been? We were traveling without you. Where have you been? Don't you know I need to be about my father's business, <laughs> right? And so from an early age, he knew what he had to do. doesn't mean he wanted to do it, which is another thing we can take away, right? And the gardener gets them. Hey, God, is there any other way? Is there any other way that we can accomplish this without me having to die? And the answer, he asked three times, the answer was no. But what did God do? He gave him an angel that comforted him, that encouraged him. But there was no other way. And so we learned that, hey, Jesus Christ did things that he didn't want to necessarily do. Is there any other way, God? No, your will, God, not my will. So there's, there's sacrifice. But understanding that when he got on the cross, he kept the end goal in mind. That's you and me. We are the end goal. That you and me can now be walking on this earth with Christ in us. At the time, there was one Jesus Christ walking around the earth, 
right? And the devil said, ah, if I can just kill him, we're good. But what he didn't know is he played right into God's plan, right? That um, it's 1 Corinthians uh, 2, 7, and 8. It talks about if the devil knew, he wouldn't have killed Jesus Christ. Because what happened was when he died, when Jesus Christ died, God rose him from the dead. Day of Pentecost, spirit is made available to all men. Look out. I have Christ in me. Can you have Christ in you? Every Christian has Christ in him. I can walk with God. I can do miracles if God gives me revelation. I can speak the word to the point that someone gets born again. Jesus Christ couldn't even do that because it wasn't made available yet. But we have the ability to share Romans 10, 9 and 10 with people that says that if thou confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And if someone believes that, eternal life. I'm going to see him in heaven. You'll see him in heaven and say, hey, I spoke the word to you. We have eternal life together. We get to spend eternity. So that's what Jesus Christ's mind was when he's on the cross, suffering, getting, you know, getting beat, getting, you know, just, you know, I can't even watch that movie, The Passion, because it just would hit home too hard. So um, those are some takeaways. And I'll leave with this one is that it's just believing. Jesus Christ led a life of believing, right? When people say, how do you, oh, you have little faith. If you had the faith of a mustard seed, right? And so just believing day by day, moment by moment, believing in God and the promises in his word. So those are some takeaways. So for athletes, we obviously want to work our hardest to perform our best, but it's not a question of if injuries will happen, but when injuries will happen. How can athletes remain patient and trust the the, the will of God's plan through that and going through that injury together, not just by by themselves, how can they remain patient in that while having the end goal in mind? Understanding what patience looks like in God's terms. Hmm. You know, when Adam and Eve messed up in the garden, he was patient for thousands of years until he brought Jesus Christ to pass, right? That's patience. Um, and there's kind of some stuff in the book, looking at someone like Joseph who had a dream at 17 that he was going to be a ruler of Egypt, and going through a lot for 13 years until he was 30 to where he became second in command of Egypt under the under Pharaoh. Understanding perspective of, hey, this is a six-month surgery recovery. Six months in the span of my career is not that long. So number one, changing our perspective of what patience looks like. Spending time in prayer with God and telling that, all right, God, let's go at this together. Um, you know, and understanding that all the body wants to do is heal. God designed the body to heal. So when we do our part, when I attack my physical therapy as if it was my career, um, you know, that's a different mindset. I have a guy, man, he tore an ACL at this time last year, got all the way back, tore the other ACL the week before, before his senior season. So he never played one game of varsity football with COVID and everything. Um, and so now together, because he has support, which is another huge thing, um, he's getting through his surgery and he's going to go to TCU next year and just enjoy life as a regular <laughs> uh, person, not as an athlete anymore. But understanding that we need support. We cannot do it alone. Um, whether that's a friend, whether that's a sports site consultant, someone who's going to keep you accountable to doing the little things that you know, need to be done for you to recover. Because when you're out of the limelight, out of the glory, it's no one cares about you. 
sadly. Mm. No one, you don't mean anything to a coach. You don't mean much to the, your teammates because you're not helping them win. So it's it's another hit to the identity of, you know, I'm just like a piece of meat. Um, you know, so keeping your value that, hey, wait a second, I'm the son of God or I'm a daughter of God. Um, those things reminding yourself of your value when you're injured because so much of our you know, stake is in our ability to produce for a team. And when I can't do that, I feel like I have nothing to offer. But you still have so much to offer um, from the sidelines. Uh, great perspective on, hey, I was, you know, I've always been a starter. Now I'm on the bench. Now I see things from a different perspective. And then finding joy in different things every single day. Finding joy in the recovery process. It's not a joyful experience, but finding joy uh, in it. Because you hear, watch, if you're watching an NFL game, yeah, he came back from an ACL tear. No one cared about that guy when he had an ACL tear, right? And he's doing things in the dark with, with not the limelight on him. And he's working, working, working. Then he gets all the way back. And then, hey, hey, hey now you're back in everyone's graces. So it's, a, it's just a grind. And so you have to find a way to love the grind and learn something from it. And you better be a better player when you come back. And that's why the mental game is so valuable because I can take thousands and thousands of reps in my mind um, when I'm injured. I can visualize an ACL tear here uh, healing. I can see somebody sewing that up and massaging it. And it actually, mentally, it will bring red blood cells to that area and heal it quicker. Research has shown uh, visualization. So um, the mental game is so valuable when you're not playing. And let's say you tore an ACL or uh, on a cut. Well, guess what? When you're cleared by the doctor physically to come back, mentally, that's still going to be a huge block that I can trust my knee that it's good to make that cut. So thousands and thousands and thousands of times, have you visualized making that same cut? with strength, with power, with drive, right? Because if I've done it in my mind, the mind cannot tell the difference between reality and fake other than the actual physical exertion. So those are some keys that on the way to recovery that I can get strong mentally so that when I get back, not only am I physically as strong, if not stronger, but mentally I've revamped everything. Gosh, if I if I knew that during or while I was playing, I that would be so helpful, my goodness. Because I, I, I remember, you know, I had I had surgery on my hip and I came back and I I just I didn't run as fast as I wanted to. I didn't I didn't make the cuts that I used to because I mean my brain was hardwired to remember the injury and remember the pain that it caused. So yeah, that's such a great point. And just visualize yourself making that cut, making that sprint is so crucial in, in the recovery process. But Ray, thank you so much for joining me today. I wanted to shout you out about all of your books. I mean, you have Pillar Bs, you have Playing on High Ground, Playing on Higher Ground. I mean, is there a central message that you want the readers to get out of your books? Sure. So I've uh, got Play on Higher Ground, or High Ground, and then the sequel. So this book, Playing on High Ground, the one that you read, Ken, this is an athlete's foundation. Mm. This is like accumulation of the knowledge and setting the foundation. But a foundation is great. It's head knowledge, right? But then this book, Playing on Higher Ground, is the application of everything you learn in book one. So Jacoby is back on the field. And he's got all this great, these great mental tools, all this, you know, I've learned how to build a relationship with God. Now real life hits when he goes back to school, he's back on the mound. What does this look like in application? 
Um, so that's uh, the exciting part of book two is, is you see this stuff played out and he's at um, when he's in college. And so, but you run into the pressures and the pleasures that happen at the college level and you're going to find Jacoby running into some same things that every other athlete runs into and see how he um, chooses to deal with them. Uh, he is not a model uh, person and so neither is any other athlete. So I try to make it as real as possible. So the biggest thing is, is go to God's word. If you have a question, go to God's word or go to somebody who knows God's word because that's where you're going to find the answers. And that's what this book is. If you, I mean, if you look like there's the dialogue up here, but then there's numbers and you have so much scripture right here that if you're on a plane ride, you don't even need your Bible because everything's right there. Um, that's, that's a really valuable piece to this and just learning and building up your mindset with God's word because God's word are perfect thoughts. And if I can make God's words my words, then my self-talk is perfect. So that's the biggest takeaway from that book. Absolutely. Right. I can't thank you enough for coming on today. Uh, I absolutely loved your book and I'm going to order the new, the newer ones, um, because I, I just really enjoyed it, but I really respect what you're doing at Remo renewed mind performance. So just thank you again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Ken. And, uh, let's keep in touch. And that my, my new book, the pillar bees is coming out, uh, February 26th of this year. Uh, it doesn't have a Christian theme, but there's a lot of huge takeaways in it. So it's more for every athlete rather than just the Christian athlete, but there's some incredible stuff. I'm looking forward to that. So we'll have to pop on to another call when that comes up. Definitely. Absolutely. Well, for all listeners out there, please, please go get Ray's books. They're so good, and I can't wait for the new one to come out. Also, please share this episode. Uh, leave a rating and follow us on social media at Competing for Christ Podcast. If you don't get anything else from this episode, just remember this. Jesus loves you, and he's going to fight for you no matter what. Talk to you next time.